Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. in America, there were more suicides than homicides. That's shocking, isn't it? Know that people felt so alone, so shackled by problems and adversities that seemingly the only way out was to take their own life. And so man has become the greatest destroyer of men. People who can't handle problems, difficulties adversities. And I think our temptation many times is to give a simplistic answer to those people. People are searching for answers. How can I make it? How can I handle adversity? How in the world could I make it through this, much less advance through adversity? It's easy to give a, just a simplistic answer and say, oh, God will take care of it. It'll all work out. Don't worry about it. But people can't handle that simplistic answer. It's like the guy on the airplane that they brought him his lunch and right on the top of his sandwich was a roach. <laughs> I mean, right there under the wrapping, it would just, you know, just look like three-dimensional. And he just got really upset. And when he got back home, he wrote the president of the airline and told him about the roach. And the president wrote him back and said, I'm so sorry this happened. And he said, you'll be glad to know that we have ripped out the seats of that airplane. We've fumigated that thing. We've reprimanded the, the stewardess and she may well lose her job. In fact, that airplane may be taken out of service. And we hope that you'll continue to fly with us. And he was impressed. I mean, the president company had written all the things they're going to do. And he realized there was another letter stuck to this letter. He turned it over in the back and there was his original letter to the president. And somebody had written underneath, send this guy the regular roach letter. <laughs> you know, we, we get in trouble when we offer simplistic answers to difficult problems. And in advancing through adversity and dealing with this series of messages, we're not offering simple answers. We're saying life is tough. We're saying that God wants to use the problems, the adversities, the tragedies, anything that comes into your life, God wants to use it for a purpose. And that we can actually, instead of being set back by adversity, we can surge forward. Most people approach adversity saying, well, this is a terrible setback, a, a terrible disappointment. But the Bible says we can surge forward. God, listen closely, God uses those things that baffle us and disappoint us to make us succeed. Many of those things that have come into your life and your past that you thought at the time were terrible things, God used them to advance you, to put you where you are right now. And God is so good to us that he's working these things out. That's why we better be careful when we talk about something being good or bad because that has to do with purpose because what may seem bad at the moment, we may one day look upon as being very good. 
Because God is committed to a purpose. You see, God is conforming us to his image. God is not interested in convenience, but in character. Not in making us comfortable, but conformed to his image. God's not making softies, but soldiers. And God knows that the best way that he can deal with you and me is to send adversity into our lives. God can surge us forward. God can cause us to advance much more easily through difficulties and adversities than he can through prosperities and through good times. Now, we learned last week that adversity comes and there's usually a rational, logical answer to what's happened, but then there's also a deeper spiritual meaning. And if we miss that, we miss what God is up to in the middle of that adversity, that difficulty. And then we talked about how, how do these tragedies come? Where do they come from? What is the source of adversity? We mentioned that it happens because we live in a fallen, sinful world. We live in a world that has been polluted by, tainted by sin. We can expect to have things go wrong, and they will go wrong. Also, we bring things upon ourselves. Many of the things that happen to us happen because of our own carelessness, our own negligence. We bring it upon ourselves. Also, the devil will set you up and send adversity in your life to disappoint you, to discourage you, to try to render you inoperative and ineffective. But also God will engineer adversity. God will walk you into situations, circumstances, into adversity so that he may get your attention, that he may teach you the things that he wants to teach you, that he may cause you to learn to depend entirely upon him for he is up to something great in your life if you will cooperate with his plan. We talked last week how that these adversities would, would come into our lives to break us, to break that old hard spirit and, and to cause us to humble ourselves before God, that they would be used to buffet us, to discipline us. Those whom God loves, he chastens, he disciplines. That they would be used to bear us, to expose us to what's really in the heart because there's nothing like trouble and adversity to show us what's really on the inside of us. Then another purpose for adversity is to bake us, to mature us, to grow us up, to conform us to the image of Christ, and then to bless us. God has promised blessings out of adversity. Now this morning, I want to zero in on this thing of how do we respond to adversity. We have learned that adversity comes to all people, and that's good news for some of you because some have been thinking it only happens to you. But it comes to everybody. That's why you ought to be kind to everybody you meet because everybody's having troubles in one way or another. Everybody's having difficulties. And everybody somehow feels that their problems are the greatest kind of problems. But the winds of adversity will blow in every direction. Strong winds, tornadic winds. And you're aware of that. Well, how do we respond to adversity? Well, the first way is to run. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to run from adversity? I mean, run from problems, run from difficulties. Have you ever wanted to just get in the car and head out down the freeway and not ever look back? Don't look at me like you've not thought that. You know good and well you have. You thought about just chucking it all. Just, if I could just leave town and leave all my problems behind. 
Because you see, we, we think that the job, if I could just leave that job behind, or we think the wife, if I could just leave her behind, or the husband, or the children, if I could just leave it all behind and run from it. And a lot of people run from adversity. And all of us are tempted to run from adversity. I've not been tempted in, in several days. You have too, haven't you? To run from adversity. To escape it. Now you can run physically or you can run emotionally. I've not only wanted to leave town, but I've wanted to, to somehow do something in town that would somehow block that adversity. Block it out of my mind. That I could do something that would be so fun, so exciting, so enjoyable that I would somehow forget about this adversity and maybe it would just somehow go away. I did that last week. I was, I was just in the midst of some adversity and I thought, my, I've got to handle this. I mean, it's about to get to me. And I got in my car and drove across Highway 80, the first little grocery store that I could find, and I bought me, I said, the guy, I want a Snicker bar. <laughs> and he got it out for me and I said, I think I'll take two. And he got me another one and I said, uh, I'll have some M&M, peanut M&Ms. And I want you to know I went and hid myself because I don't want anybody to catch me doing this. <laughs> One of our members gave me some uh, jelly beans and a dispenser on my desk to, and that helps me from going after Snickers but I was out of jelly beans. <laughs> and so I went and brought that stuff in a little sack, put it under my coat because I don't want to be caught acting like this. And here I am trying to help my feelings, sitting in there eating that Snicker and drinking that Diet Coke. But when it was all over, I still had the problems. And plus, if I keep doing that, there will be additional problems that will come into my life. Well, we all have a tendency to run, to escape. Some try drugs. Some try value. Many people try to handle their adversity with value. Millions of Americans handle adversity with value. But when the volume wears off, you've got to have more volume or the problems are still there. Escaping. Well, that's one way to handle it. Run from it. Try to escape it. Physically or emotionally, run from it. The second way people handle adversity is by resisting it. They just rebel. When trouble comes, they rebel. They put up those defenses inside and they become resentful and bitter or they have a pity party and they're talking about all that's happening to them and they're resisting this adversity. Why is it happening to me? And they lash out at God. What kind of God do we serve? What kind of world do I live in? And we lash out at everything and everybody because we're resisting this thing that's happened. When you have problems, when you have difficulties, do you immediately get defensive? Those forces well up inside you and you want to become bitter, you want to become resentful, you want to lash out at the closest moving object. <laughs> you know, many people handle it that way. The boss grabs you out at work and you just get full of resentment and you tuck that stuff inside and you resist what he said to you and you come home and what do you do? You just explode at the wife. She hasn't done a thing. And you just let her have it. She goes and spanks the kids. <laughs> the kids go out in the yard and beat the daylights out of the dog and you just get a vicious cycle where everybody's blaming it on somebody else. Because we're resisting it and we're going to try to place the blame on someone or something. 
It's somebody else's fault. I'm learning that many times these problems within relationships are happening because we're resisting the problems in our life and we take it out on somebody else. We come to church and take it out on somebody in a committee meeting. Or we go to work, take it out on somebody who works with us. Or we take it out on our employees. You know, I'll show you. And we're taking out stuff that we have tucked inside because we are resisting what we feel is happening in our lives. The adversities that are coming into our lives. We're resisting. We're resisting what God is saying to us. And we're denying the sovereign control of God in our lives. Well, there's the third way to respond to adversity. And this is the biblical way. And that's to receive it as from God himself. My friend, if you are a born-again Christian, there is not any adversity, any problem that can come into your life, but that it has been sifted through the will of God. God has allowed it. Now, God doesn't cause it. God can cause adversity to come into your life, but I'm not saying that it's the will of God. Any terrible thing that happens to you is God's will. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that anything that happens to you, God allows it, and when he allows it, you can know for certain that he has a plan to work it for good in your life. Amen? That's a great assurance, a great promise, great security that anything that happens in your life, be it good or bad, God wants to use it working out his plan in your life. And you see, many of those things that seem bad turn out good. When you look back on your life, it may have been the bad things that have engineered your success. Some of you wouldn't be in the job that you're in right now if you had not got fired from another job. There's a guy named uh, Wallace Johnson who was in his 40s worked for a sawmill in the depression. Came to work one morning and the boss said, you're fired. Now, he was depressed, disappointed. Went home to his wife. Didn't know what he was going to do. And his wife, being kind and sympathetic, I know none of you would ever say anything like this, but, and she said, now what are you going to do? Well, he thought about that for a while and he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mortgage our house. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? <laughs> and I'm going to start a business. And she said, it's a depression. And he said, we're going to start a building business. I'm going to build a building. And he built two buildings. In five years, he was a multimillionaire. You know him as the founder of Holiday Inns and built Holiday Inns all across America. And you know what he said when you hear him speak? He says, I wish I could find the guy who fired me to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Because he was fired from a sawmill at age 40. And God had something better in store for him. God used that firing, that that seemed terrible, traumatic, the end, a closed door, a wall. And yet God had something a whole lot better for him. There's a little book called Steps to Holiness. That's a classic work. But it was written in, in a series of articles while a guy was recuperating, recovering from being hit in the head with a brick by a rambunctious, recalcitrant teenager. And the guy, while he was recuperating, wrote this classic work. And the family would talk about it. 
Had it not been for the little brick, they wouldn't have had the little book. God took that thing that seemed so bad at the moment and out of it has blessed literally thousands and thousands of people. That's just like God. But had it not been for the brick, there would have been no book to bless thousands. And had it, were it not for the bricks that fall into your life, many good things could not come your way. And that's what God's saying. God's saying that I want to work in the things that some would call bad, but I want to work good out of them to cause you not to be set back, but to surge forward that you can literally advance through adversity. God disappoints us and baffles us only to make us succeed only to open up that door that we thought would never be opened. As I look back over my life, I see many times, many things, many directions I would not have gone had God not closed the door, had God not put a stop sign up and shifted me in a new direction. And what seemed at the moment of disappointment, God used as an opportunity for growth and a new door open that was far greater than the door that is closed. I want to talk to you about a guy right here in Genesis. In fact, Genesis 37, 38, all the way to chapter 50, literally chapter after chapter, unfolds the story of this man by the name of Joseph. Very few people, if any, in all the Bible that take up as much room in the Bible as this one man, Joseph, talking about this one man's life. Joseph, here was a, a young boy who was the favorite of his parents. Now, parents, you know that that's not a good thing. We're not to show partiality. We're not to have a favorite. We're certainly not to tell our children that we like one better than the other. But these parents did. And Joseph got a coat that was a multicolored coat. It was the coat of many colors. Now his brothers had a coat that didn't have any color at all. And that didn't seem fair. And they resented it. Why don't we have a coat like he has? Why does he get all the good things? Why do you never do anything for us? Any of you parents ever heard anything like this? <laughs> Well, that's, that's a hard thing to work out within the families, within the children, because it seems like every child feels mistreated and left out, no matter what you do for them. But in this case, it seems that Joseph really was the most liked, and it was evident. And it was a beautiful coat because he was a mama's boy, and, and she wanted this multicolored coat for Joseph, and his brothers hated it. Well, Joseph gets up one morning, puts on that coat and says, fellas, I had a dream last night. You're not going to believe it. I mean, I had a dream last night, and you know what? I dreamed that one of these days I'm going to be superior to all you turkeys, and you're going to bow down before me. And don't you know that blessed his brothers? <laughs> I mean, they were already so jealous, so envious, so resentful, so full of bitterness, and he gets up and shares this dream. 
that puts him over his brothers. Now, before you judge Joseph too harshly, Joseph, was the Bible says, was 17 years of age. I've never met a 17-year-old who knew anything but thought he knew everything. If you, how many of you have been 17? Raise your hand. Others of you will be. That's a tough time because you, you've got all the answers then. When I was 17, I need more than my daddy, more than my mom, more than both of them put together. I need more than the school teachers. I need more than the president of the United States. I knew it. I had it all figured out. That's the way 17-year-olds operate. And sometimes it takes more than a year to get out of that stage. Sometimes it'll start about 15 and end about 23. Well, Joseph was that young guy who thought he had it all together and he had all the answers and he was bold and arrogant. But it was his immaturity because you see the same Joseph later on when he does rise to position and power and prominence, he gives every ounce of glory, every dust or speck of glory he gives to God. He grows up. Aren't you glad you grow up? He grows up and matures and you see a great man of God. But in the meantime, it's through adversity that he grows up. It's through difficulty that God makes something out of him. God drags him through some terrible things, but then the results are fantastic. Well, he went out to check on his brothers, and the brothers saw him coming. They said, we're going to kill this guy. Oh, we, we're going to get rid of him. We're tired of him getting everything and us getting nothing. We're sick of Joseph. We're sick of his dreams. We're sick of that coat. We ought to tear the coat off of him and choke him with the coat. I know that's not in there, but you got to think what, I've been 17. They hated that coat. They hated him. And so one of the brothers had a softer heart and he said, uh, let's don't kill him. Let, let's throw him in this pit. The Bible says they threw him in a pit and the pit had no water. I bet Joseph was grateful for that. At least... He didn't have to swim for the next six months. So they threw him in this deep pit and left him to die. And then you know the story. He was eventually sold to a, a, a caravan headed for Egypt for 20 pieces of silver. And he was lashed to the side of that carriage. Here was a young man who had potential, who had talent, who was good-looking, who was the favorite son of his parents, and now he's been sold in slavery, he's been tied to the side of a carriage, and it would seem to anybody that it's over for this young man. And his brothers are thinking, my, we're the smart ones, he's had it now, we've got it back. He gets to Egypt and he's eventually sold. The Potiphar maybe for 30 or 40 pieces of silver. He became immediately recognized as one being brilliant, sharp mind, one who could organize things, one who could get things done. He was a mover, a shaker, and soon he was put in charge of Potiphar's household. Everything that he had. And then Potiphar's wife, beautiful woman. How do you know that? Well, in his position, he would have a beautiful wife. And she got it for Joseph. 
She took a liking to me. He was good looking. And so she made a pass at him. She was a little more direct than that. She said, Joseph, I got one thing on my mind. I want to sleep with you. King James says, I want to lie with you. And Joseph said, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What maturity. What happened to this young guy who had the world by the tail and who had all the answers? This arrogant, cocky, good-looking guy, what happened to him? He was dragged through the pit. He was thrown in the pit and left for dead and he had to cry out to God and he had some experiences with God in the pit of adversity. And he grew up. And he came out of that adversity saying, I want to live for God. I want to count for God. I want to make a mark for God. I'm depending upon God to take care of me. And he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The Bible says she continued to tempt him every day. Wow. That's hard. It's tough enough to make that decision one time. But he had to work around her and he had to make that decision every day as she tempted him and tried to seduce him and then literally tried to rape him and he ran out leaving his coat and then she made up a lie, turned it totally around and said he tried to rape her and the result of that was he was thrown into prison. The Bible says a dungeon of a prison. Now he's in prison, not for doing what was wrong but for doing what was right. Adversity, it seems it follows Joseph everywhere he goes. Hated by his brothers, thrown into the pit, now in the dungeon of a prison. But in the prison, he still trusts God. And soon he rises even inside the prison and becomes in charge of the prison. He interprets a dream for the baker and the butler and the interpretation works out just as Joseph said, and then there came a time for him to interpret an important dream that concerned the future of Egypt. The dream the ruler had had and could not understand what the dream meant. And Joseph was called and Joseph said, I don't have the power to tell you, but God does. How do you learn that? In adversity. It's not me, it's God. God can reveal the answer. God says there's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine and you need to buy all the corn and gather all the corn and the countries will come here to buy and to eat. And now this man Joseph becomes in charge of the corn. He's put over everything in Egypt. He is second in command. He rides in the second chariot, Air Force Two. I watched that thing land. I, I went out to get Charles at the airport Wednesday and the Air Force Two was landing with Vice President Bush and Charles landing at, at the same time. It's amazing that how differently they treated Charles and Bush. <laughs> it matters who you know and who you are. But I watched Air Force Two land carrying the vice president. This was the vice president. This was the second in command. He had the second chariot. 
in charge of everything except the ruler himself. And now Canaan is hit by this famine and Jacob's family is starving and the brothers are sent to Egypt in search of food and Joseph recognizes them. And when he recognizes his brothers, what does he do? He says, aha! I'm that young guy that you threw in the pit, you turkeys, come here. I'm gonna make you starve to death and I'm gonna watch you starve and laugh at you when you beg me for food. Bow down, you skinny turkeys. Is that how he acted? That's how I see a lot of people act. A lot of people just wait till they can get revenge and then gloat over it. Wait until they can get back. Joseph recognized his brothers. And then he sent them away with some corn and put the money back in their sacks. He had them to bring the younger brother next time. He wanted to know if his father was still alive and they brought the younger brother back and then he put the silver cup in the younger brother's sack and then they left and he had some men follow them and say whoever's got the cup, who stole the cup of the ruler, that one has to come back. He wanted that younger brother back. But in the midst of all that and the story so long, we don't have time to talk through the story, but the end result was that Joseph broke down and said, I am your brother. And they got the family brought over from Canaan to Egypt and Joseph took care of the entire family. And listen, folks, this handful of people, 70-something people that move into Egypt, Jacob's family, God is moving them into Egypt. And that family of 70 becomes a nation of between two and three million people. God is beginning a nation of people and he's moved Joseph into the position to make it possible and he did it through adversity. Through adversity. Now, when Jacob dies, the brothers know that they're in trouble. They know that as soon as the father dies that Joseph's gonna kill every one of them. And Jacob dies and they go to Joseph and they say to him, our father commanded us before he died that, that we tell you that, that we're sorry and we'll bow down before you. We're sorry over what we did to you. But don't take our lives. And Joseph said, I'm not going to take your life. Listen to what he says, fear not. For am I in the place of God? I'm not God. But as for you, you thought evil against me. You hated me. You were determined to do away with me. You meant me harm, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. You were trying to do me in, but God was using it for good. Not only for good in my life, but God is working and moving his whole people. He's beginning a nation and he's getting them from Canaan to Egypt and he's feeding his people and growing his people all because of a man who in the pit learned to trust God and to be obedient to God who advanced through adversity. 
I want you to look at, at chapter 45, about verse 5, where it says, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Verse 7, And God sent me before you to preserve you as a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. He said God was in charge of every bit of it. He said you thought you were setting it up. You thought that you did all this. But God was in charge of the whole operation. Now God didn't cause them to do it. But God was taking what seemed bad and his plan was to work good out of it. He was providing for a nation of people. He was providing for a savior. He was providing for deliverance. And he was doing it through a person who was willing to be obedient, who could advance through adversity. And who could look back on his life and see that it was through heartache and trouble and trials and failure that he had received all the good things that had come into his life. You can advance through adversity. God's disappointments and backlings many times are to just get us in a position to succeed. When I got out of seminary, I taught for a couple of years in evangelism and then felt God wanted me to be an evangelist. I never wanted to be a pastor, never would admit to anybody that I would be a pastor. I grew up in little tiny churches and uh, dealing with church problems and adversities and all those kind of things, and I just never wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to be an evangelist because I knew that you could then get in trouble in a week, but you could leave town as soon as the week's over, and uh, that seemed like a better thing. And that's where my heart was. And so I went into evangelism and for six and a half years, God provided me with a full schedule and allowed me to preach literally all over America and I loved every minute of it. I loved evangelism. I loved preaching, meeting people around the country and seeing God bless. He allowed us to build an organization and to buy a building and to develop a staff. And then we had a little girl come into our lives named Christy. And Christy came into this world with colic, worst I've ever seen, and then developed allergies immediately. She was allergic to everything. And uh, was sick just about every day. And I was across the country, and Lee would have that sick child, and I would be across the country, and I couldn't help, and it just tore at my heart. And God used that to soften my heart toward the pastor because I didn't have a heart soft toward the pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor of anybody's church. I wanted to be an evangelist. I thought that's what God wanted me to be and to do. But God used that sick child to soften my heart. And then we were having a little trouble paying for Christy. She cost a good bit to get here and then the doctors and, and uh, we were having, and it was December, January and February when we didn't have revival meetings. And I took a, an interim pastorate to help us out financially while we weren't having revival meetings and we had extra bills and, and that church just responded so very much and I fell in love with those people, fell in love with that church. 
And they said, we want you to come and be our pastor. And I said, no, I, I don't want to be a pastor, but I, I, I've enjoyed it. I love doing this. And God used that financial difficulty in that interim pastor. And God used that sick child to soften my heart. But when a pulpit committee came to me and spent three hours, I was in a revival meeting. They spent three hours with me in a Holiday Inn in Aiken, South Carolina. At the end of that conversation, they said, Pastor, will you, will you pray about coming to be our pastor? Will you pray about it? I said, no. I don't want to even pray about it because I'd really rather not be a pastor. I want to be an evangelist. I believe God's blessing our ministry. It's evident that he's blessing. And I've got my mind on evangelism and I don't want to get caught up in praying about something else. I believe this is what God wants me to do and he's got to turn my attention in another direction. And I said, you men, you can pray. And then several months later, they came back and said, we've listened to some 80 and 90 men. And every man believes that you're the pastor for our church. And we're going to pray till God reveals that to you. And that's exactly what God did in a matter of time. And God put us in the pastor. And we had a glorious seven and a half years in Spartanburg. And then these wonderful days here. But you see, that came out of difficulty and adversity that God used to soften the heart because he has this will for our lives and sometimes we're too selfish and we're not objective and we want to do what we want to do and God has something for us that's better and something that he's gifted us to do. So God uses the problems and the difficulties and the adversities to move our lives into position where he can bless us and use us like he wants to. Don't be afraid of problems, adversities. God can use them to surge you forward. And it may well be the best things in life will come to you at the hands of your greatest adversities. Let's pray together. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry.